Good morning, First Baptist New Orleans. It's a, a blessing for me to be here with you this morning. Uh, I want to, uh, to give you a brief update. I was blessed to speak with Chad uh, just uh, a little bit before driving to the church this morning. We'll continue to be in prayer for he and his family. Uh, they, are, they are doing well. They are showing symptoms, and we'll pray for them as they go through that. The good news for Chad is uh, he lives in the same house as Cole and Ava Gilbert. And uh, I don't know if Chad could get through this on his own, but there's not a disease on earth that Cole and Ava aren't going to be able to get him through. So, you know, we're thankful for that. I want to tell you this morning, I'm so thankful to have come in, and I just want to say a word of thanks for the the FBNO staff. Um, I was uh, so blessed this morning. This was just so easy to come in and and fill in for Chad. I'm thankful for uh, these sisters and brothers who are uh, servant leaders in our church. One of our core convictions that we talked about last week is that we are servant-led. So they're a blessing to our church family, a blessing to me and my family as members of this church. So my name is Corey. Uh, my wife, Kayla, and our two little girls, Zoe and Noel, moved back to New Orleans. We lived here as students for about seven years, and we moved back um, in May. And uh, we've been blessed to be members of FBNO uh, for about three months now. And so we're blessed to be a part of this church family. Um, I've been blessed to be able to, to work along Chad in ministry for quite some time. And, uh, and again, I, I'm, I regret the circumstances. And, and Chad, Cole, brother, I hope you and your family get better soon. But I'm blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. So as we begin to, uh, to go through God's Word this morning, let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to begin in verse 16. As you're turning there, just want to kind of get us ready for this story. One of the things that, that my family's been going through recently, and I've been going through recently, is a time of transition as we move from Rome, Georgia to New Orleans. And uh, one of the things that happens when you move and you go to a new job is you get into your office, you go through all the typical first day of work stuff or first couple of days of work stuff, you're unpacking your office. For me, I'm putting a bunch of books on the shelf. You're going to meetings with HR. They're setting up your computer. You're figuring out how to use the email. So, so all of that stuff's happening. But at a certain point, and this happened to me about two days in, all of a sudden, you sit down behind your desk or, or you're at your workstation, you're, you're on your job, and all the intro stuff is done. And then the question can become, well, now what, right? So, so this happens, and whenever it happens, one of the things we have to ask is, well, now we're supposed to get to work, and the question is, what work are we given to do? I'm thankful to be at, at uh, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. We've got a clear mission statement. Our mission is to prepare servants to walk with Christ, proclaim His truth, and fulfill His mission. So I knew, day one, as soon as all the, the intro stuff is done, it's time to get to work. I want us to, to think for a moment that I think there are a lot of Christians, maybe some of us here in this room this morning. So we come, we're sitting in churches, or we are in small groups, or we are at home with, with Christian music on our iPhone and with nine different Bible translations on our shelves. We have done all the Christian things, and we're asking the question, so now what? What do I do? What does it mean to be a Christian? And what we have to do is we have to answer that, well, it's time to get to work we ask, well, what is the work to which Christ is calling us? And that is laid out so clearly for us throughout the scriptures, and especially in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. So I want to invite you this morning as you read in your copy of God's Word to stand with me this morning as we read God's Word together. These are the words of the Lord in Matthew chapter 28. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped. But some doubted. 
Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Father, as we read your word this morning, remind us as a church body, as your bride, that your word has absolute authority for us. Father, we thank you that you've revealed yourself through your word. And Father, as we consider the authority and the goodness of your word, I pray also, Father God, that you would make us all aware that my words come from the mouth of a sinful man. So Father, if I say anything that's out of accordance with the truth of your scripture, then I pray, Father God, that as your Holy Spirit moves on these believers to read your word for themselves, that my error would be identified, that I would repent of it first before you and then before my faith family, that we would do this for the sake of First Baptist New Orleans, worshiping you in spirit and in truth, not to puff us up in our doctrine, but that we would worship you and be your servants here into the nations. We love you, Father God, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, as we go into this, I want us to just look at a couple of things about Matthew's gospel. So Chad did a sermon series recently where he went through just some things talking about the kingdom. And as he went through the kingdom, we went through Matthew's gospel. And, and Chad actually stopped by design in Matthew chapter 25, talking about the, the kingdom is coming, right? The king is going to return. We talked about that. And that was intentionally because in this sermon series, in our Together sermon series, we were going to return to the end of Matthew's gospel to look at the mission which Christ gives the church. And that's what we're looking at this morning to remind you of where we are in Matthew's gospel, picking up in Matthew chapter 28, what's happened between Matthew 25 and now is Christ has been arrested. He has been tortured and beaten and he has been crucified. He has died and he has been raised to life. He has defeated death. And so as we come to this part of the gospel of Matthew, that's the situation that we're dealing with. We're going to spend most of our time looking at Matthew uh, chapter 28 verses 18, 19, and 20. But as we move there, I just want to make three quick observations about the first two verses here. So, so look at verses 16 and 17 with me and just hear these three observations. One, they're going to Galilee to the mountain that Jesus had directed them to. Right? So they're, they're going to a mountain. He's told them to come to a mountain. And if we've been following along in Matthew, see big things happen whenever Jesus brings his disciples up on a mountain. So Matthew chapter 5, one of the big things that happens in the gospel of Matthew is Jesus teaches us about the kingdom. And he talks about what the kingdom is going to be like. And he tells us what his servants, what the members of the kingdom, how we are to live. We call this the Sermon on the mountain. So takes them to a mountain cop, unveils to them the teaching of the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is going to take some of the disciples. He's going to go up to the mountain and there before they go back into Jerusalem to where Jesus is going to be crucified and they're going to experience his death and resurrection here in these passages or in this passage of scripture, they see Jesus on the mountaintop glorified, transfigured into his glory so that they are reminded that this is more than just a man we are following. Big things happen when you come to a mountaintop in the Gospel of Matthew. And big things happen here. This is the church's mission. And so now the church is going to be given a mission, commissioned to go out to the nations. Big things happen on mountaintops. Number two, I want us to see that the 11 disciples are there. Now, why 11 disciples? Well, because Judas is not a disciple anymore, and he is yet to be replaced by Matthias. We read that in Acts chapter 1. Now, this isn't just trivia. 
okay? There's a reason that we need to give attention to the fact that the 11 disciples are there. The the disciples are called intentionally by Christ to be 12 disciples. Why? Because they are to be a reminder that as there were 12 tribes that made up the people of God, Israel, there are now going to be 12 disciples that make up the people of God, the disciples who follow after Christ. Here's why this is important as we get into this passage. We may ask ourselves as we come into this passage, you may ask, well, Corey, listen, isn't this really just a commission to like professional Christians? Isn't this just a commission to vocational leaders in the church? It's not because these men are the representatives of all disciples. So when we come to this text, know that what's being said to these men applies to all of us who say that we are followers of Christ. So know that. And then number three, I want us to just give some attention here to something that we see in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped. So they're all worshiping, but, but some doubted. Now, I want, us to, I want us to just let that hit us in a real way. There may be some of us this morning who have come in to worship, and we're worshiping. We're, we're really doing it. We are falling before the risen Lord, but we also have doubts in our heart. What does that mean for us? What, what, what does it mean for him? What does it mean for Jesus to be the risen Lord? And if that is us, and I want us to be encouraged that the way Christ meets these disciples in their doubt, as they're worshiping through doubt, is not to, to sit them down and say, okay, well, we're going to go over the facts again. It's not to put them through a, a six-week curriculum where all their doubts are going to go away. Instead, what's going to happen? He's going to reveal his power. He's going to reveal his mission, and he's going to reveal his presence. So if you are here this morning and you're worshiping through doubt, I want to say thank you for coming to worship the Lord Jesus, even in the midst of doubt, and now be confronted by his power, by his mission, and by his presence. So I want us to understand these things. So let's go into the text. As we, as we go in and we're looking very specifically 19, 18, 19, and 20, I just want to make three observations. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they are. If you're, if you're taking notes, here's the three things we're going to go over, okay? We're going to talk about the power of the mission. We're going to talk about the content of the mission, and we're going to talk about the promise of the mission. So that's what we're going. So let's start here looking at the power of the mission. And here's the power of the mission. We're going to see it right here in verse 18. Jesus came near to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the power of the mission. Listen, authority is a a powerful thing. As Kayla and I moved to New Orleans, as we moved to the seminary, back in, this was back in, uh, in May, early May, man, the weather's cool, the kids want to go get outside, and I say cool, that's a relative term, cool for New Orleans, okay? So, so the weather's nice, they want to get outside, and, and right across the street from our house is a playground, like you can see it from our house, and so as we, as we come, Kayla and I are going through this, this thing parents have to do when you move to a new place, it's like, what's the boundaries for our kids, and we end up deciding, you know something, it would be good for the kids to just go across the street and be able to play at the playground sometimes. That's great. It's safe for them. They're going to have fun. So one day we, we tell the kids, they ask, hey, can we go out and can we play at the playground? Will you take us there? And I told them, because Kayla and I had already decided this, I told them, I said, hey, guys, listen, you can just go play at the playground by yourselves. So our six-year-old, Noelle, said, really? I said, yeah, Noelle, you can just go to the playground and play by yourself. And then she gets this confused. Really? Yes, Noel, you can go to the playground and play by yourself. Kayla is standing there. She looks at Kayla and she says, really? And Kayla says, yes, and no more confused look. Boom, she leaves. She wasn't sure if I had the authority to send her to the playground by herself, but she knew that mama did, right? Let's think for a moment what it means that Jesus has all authority. The risen Messiah stands before his disciples. 
the risen Messiah stands before his disciples. It's easy for us to come to this, and it's just a guy on a page saying, I have all authority. But, but folks, the risen Messiah, they saw him crucified, they saw him dead, they saw him buried, and now they are standing at the place where he told them to go, and the risen Messiah says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And to these guys, things are just coming to life. They're coming off the pages of the Old Testament. They can see now in this risen Messiah, here's the one the ancient of days has given dominion and a kingdom and glory that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is gonna be an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that cannot be destroyed. That jumps off the pages of Daniel 7 for them as the risen Messiah stands in front of them. They're seeing things come to life out of Psalm 22. Here's the one who God has given the nations as a heritage and the end of the earth is his possession. He's gonna dash the enemies among the nations like a broken vessel of pottery. Here's the one that is spoken of in Genesis chapter 49 verse 10 who makes the promise come true that the scepter of rulership is not gonna depart from Judah. He's there and they're seeing the risen Messiah say, I've got all authority in heaven and on earth. The one that was promised in the Old Testament has all authority on heaven and on earth. And that makes a heck of a lot of sense when you just saw him beat death. Makes more sense the things that he said to them, like in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. He told them then, he says, all things have been handed to me by my father. And now they've seen him beat death. Here's my point. If we could stand for a moment where these disciples were. And here the risen Messiah who has beaten death, who has conquered the Roman cross, who has looked into the face of the most powerful empire in the world and who has beaten their most excruciating form of punishment and execution. The one who has withstood the mockery and the scorn and persecution of the most powerful leaders in his community. And now he's standing on a mountaintop telling his disciples, I've got all the authority in heaven and on earth. And if you've seen all that happen, the only thing that makes sense is to say, yes, sir. Yes, Lord. Yes, you do. So as we consider the mission Jesus has given us, let us first take a moment to realize the power of the one who sends us on mission. We've got to be careful about what we think is going to drive us to accomplish our mission as a church. We're moving towards that mission. We've already said the mission, the content is to make disciples, more specifically to make disciples of all the nations. So as we think about how are we gonna do that, we have to be careful to trust in the only true power to accomplish this mission. Imagine this for a moment. So imagine you're at work and your boss tells you, hey, listen, I have this very important project. I want you to, to, to go lead your team accomplish this project. This is vital to the company. Spare no expense, spare no resource. So you go and you do everything your team has to do, right? Like, like you work your folks to the bone, you work to the bone, like you are just pouring into it. And, and, and not only that, but you just spend out all of your budget lines that, that are under you. You just spend them all. Like, like you're just, you're spending it all and you fall far short of the goal. You fall far short of the mission that you were given by your boss. And you come back to your boss and and you tell her, you say, listen, I'm sorry, but we, we did everything, but, but we didn't have enough people and we didn't have enough money. And she looks at you and she says, didn't I say spare no expense? Not once did you come back and say, I need more people on my team. 
Not once did you come back and say, I needed more budget to, to, to make this happen. We would have given you everybody in the organization. We would have given you all the money that you needed to, to make this happen. There were hundreds more people and millions more dollars, and you never asked because apparently you missed the memo that this is the mission and everything's on the line to get it done. Church, let me tell you what I think is happening a lot of times. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, we want to accomplish the mission. So we need better strategies and more funding, and we need to increase our own passion. And in all of these things, we miss what the actual power of the mission is. The power of the mission Christ has given us is not our strategies. Listen, strategies can be important and strategies can be good, but in the day when the new heavens and the new earth come and people from every nation, tribe, and tongue are gathered around the throne of God as the accomplishment of the mission of Christ's church, they will not say glory to the strategist. They will say glory to God who gave the power to his mission. Funding for missions is essential. The cooperative program is at the very root of why I am a Southern Baptist. I am so, so blessed to be at First Baptist New Orleans with our increased focus on mission giving. But brothers and sisters, as much as I love the cooperative program, on that day when the saints of God are gathered around his throne in glory, it will not be the cooperative program that is sung about in glory, but it will be the power of the Lord Jesus Christ who has accomplished our mission. It is tempting for us to think that what is lacking in the church is I've got to be more passionate. I have to have more feeling about mission. And listen, as we understand how dear this mission is to the heart of Christ, it should transform our heart. But in that final day, it will not be our hearts that are lifted high and praised for the accomplishment of the mission. No, sisters and brothers, it will be that the heart of Christ has bled for the nations, and that is the power to accomplish the mission on which Christ has sent us. It's the power of the risen Lord who looks to his church and looks us in the eyes and says, all power is mine. Now, here's what we're going to do with it. So what are we going to do with it? So that's the power of the mission. Let's look now at the object of the mission. The object of the mission. And here's the object of the mission, making disciples of all nations. Here's something that, that we should see as we go through the, this passage in Matthew, we see the word all used multiple times. And we've seen all power, and now we're seeing disciples of all nations. And then we're going to see Jesus being with us all the days, or always. So, so we're going to see this as we go through. The mission Christ gives us can be stated just in these words. Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. This is an imperative sentence. So let's go back to grammar class for a moment, right? Imperative sentences are commands. And so let, let me just challenge us for a moment, sisters and brothers, about how essential living out this mission is to the Christian life. This is a command, a command to all disciples of the risen Lord that he is sending out in his power to make disciples of all the nations. So, so as we look here, verse 18, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, go therefore Make disciples of all the nations. That's the command. Make disciples of all the nations. We're going to look at the kind of three ways that we are making disciples or three parts of this process. But I want us to first look just, just briefly as well. Who are these nations that Jesus is talking about? All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, so make disciples of all the nations. Here's how those 11 men on that mountaintop heard it. They heard him say, go make disciples of all of the nations, that's the word they used for Gentiles. 
Make disciples of all the nations. Go make disciples of the other folks. The folks that you actually don't think are a part of the people of God. The, part, the, 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 the group of people who are not worshiping God. The group of people that you up to this point have been content to dismiss as not God's people, not worthy of God's love. The people who weren't the right sort of people to be a part of God's kingdom. The people who didn't have the right sort of birthright to be a part of God's kingdom. The people who were not of the right ethnicity to be a part of God's kingdom. And Jesus looks these 11 Jewish men in the eyes and he says, go make disciples among the Gentiles. Go get them. All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What am I doing? I'm making disciples out of all people with it and you're going to be my instruments to do it. Sisters and brothers, let me tell you something. This is why racism is a mockery to our mission. It's a mockery to our mission. You want me to tell you what happens when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ harbors racism in our hearts? It is, it is a direct contradiction in the DNA of the people of God. Because the people who are supposed to be going to all the nations, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of color, regardless of culture, and saying, Jesus wants you to become a disciple, submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is risen and ruling over all things. Those people who are supposed to be on that mission harbor the thought in their heart that they are somehow better than people of other ethnicities or other cultures. The gospel unites us. The gospel binds us as one people. And so what do we need to understand about this as we consider it? That is, is that the reason that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has for purging racism out from our midst is not because of what's happening out there. Listen, glory, glory to God, glory to God if there's less racism in our culture for other means. But most glory to God that racism in the body of Christ is purged out, not because of what's happening politically and socially and economically, but because the word of God says, God is gonna make disciples of all nations and people from every people, tribe and tongue are gonna fall around the throne. And we say, God, by your grace, you have made this happen. By your grace, let's see a picture of that in our body today and in our mission today. So this is the command, make disciples of all nations. This means that all Christians fall into two categories related to this command. There are those in obedience, and this is what this means, sisters and brothers. The missionaries and the missional people and that guy in your office who's constantly sharing the gospel and that woman who's in hospitals right now ministering to COVID patients and proclaiming just gospel truth and making disciples in those places. They're not super Christians. They're obedient Christians. It's obedience. And this means this as well. There's the group that are obedient, and then there's the group who are disobedient. Whatever the reason, this is the state of all those who are not on the mission to which Jesus has called us. Which means if we've been dismissing ourselves, well, I, I don't, I'm not really missional, I'm just a regular Christian. Your word regular is the word that biblically defined is disobedient. So let's get to the mission. Let's strive for obedience. So how do we fulfill this objective of making disciples? Jesus gives us three actions. We're gonna try to go through these quickly. First, going, going. Jesus, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given on me, therefore, so because I've got all authority, go and make disciples of all nations. Even before Jesus gives us the central command of the mission, he sets us in motion. We're going to the nations to make disciples. As long as we know about folks who don't know Jesus, we're going to go out in the power of King Jesus to proclaim the gospel to those folks. This is gonna look, this, this is gonna give us local mission. It's gonna give us global mission. Let me tell you what I mean here. If we're going to the folks that don't know Jesus, that means we're gonna cross streets. 
And sometimes they're gonna take us to strange places like Chalmette. And we're gonna go and we're gonna proclaim Christ. We're gonna cross rivers and it's gonna take us to exotic lands like the West Bank. And we're gonna go and we're gonna proclaim Christ. And we're gonna cross cultures. Yep, we're gonna proclaim the message of the Lord Jesus Christ to Cajuns and to Catholics and to rednecks and to Muslims and to the upper classes and to the lower classes. And white folks are going to go tell black folks about the gospel. And black folks are going to tell white folks about the gospel. And Americans are going to go into the nations telling them about the gospel. And by God's grace, the nations are going to pour into America and tell lost folks about the gospel because we are a going people and it is a going mission. Let me challenge us on something here. Chad shared with us recently where he was whenever COVID hit. He was in an airport getting ready to go to the nations, getting ready to lead a team out to the nations to proclaim the gospel. And they had to make a, a, a wise decision to, to come back home. And they saw the, the fruit of that decision as the world began to lock down as COVID hit. We prayed this morning for the Fuel of the Future program. And, and in that, that time of prayer, we acknowledge that a lot of our Care Effect ministries are, are on hold right now. Let me ask you something as we're going through COVID. I, I would imagine this happens to you a lot. It happens to me. I pull the mask out of my pocket, right? like I'm going to do when I get down from the stage in a little bit. I'm going to put it on. I'm going to say, man, I'm so tired of this thing. I'm so tired of putting a mask on. I'm going to see my kids in masks. I'm so, I'm so tired of seeing my kids have to put on a mask. I'm thankful that it can protect people. And I think it's wise. But guys, we're weary of it, aren't we? Every time that happens, let us be challenged that when we feel the sting of living in a COVID world, we take time to pray, saying, God, open quickly the door to send FBNO out to our community and to the nations. Here, here's our prayer. God, show us every single way that we can take the gospel to the nations right now. And God, when the doors open and the regulations release, let us just, just go out on the nations like a flood of water when the dam is burst because you're increasing our desire to be obedient to you and to go out to the nations in your power. So let's be challenged on that. First thing is we're filling our mission, it's going. Second thing, just, and these are just actions under what does it mean for the content of the mission. Second action, baptizing. When we see unbelievers come to faith, the command of scripture is clear that they're to be baptized in the name of the triune God, right? So, so just very clear here, our mission is to go make converts, to see converts come to the Lord Jesus Christ. People who in their sin were as we once were, dead in their trespasses and sins of which they once walked, be transformed by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So we're proclaiming that gospel. And as people are saved, they are to be baptized in the faith. So baptism, just very simply, is a symbol that we are united in Christ in death and raised with him in his resurrection. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter six, verses four and five. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we are to go to people, proclaim the gospel as God works in their hearts and believers are professing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to baptize them and say, brother, sister, what obedience looks like for you as a new believer is to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's look there for a moment. This is all in verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice something here, church. You baptize them in the name, singular, 
of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Powerful truth here. We are baptized in the name as an act of allegiance to the triune God who is three persons in one God. Now you might be worried here. You got somebody from the seminary coming to preach to you, right? You already got stuck with Jamie for like six months. And so, so now you've got somebody coming to you. You might worry we're getting a little theological. Let me just tell you this. Here's what the Trinity, here's why it's so essential that we understand that God is triune. First, because he is. That's who God is. It's not something we've made up about him. It's not some illustration to try to understand. That's who he is. He's the triune God. And then I want us to understand this. Our salvation is fully dependent upon the work of the triune God. This is how we explain this to our kids. We sing a song. I'm not going to sing it, but I am going to just tell you the song that we sing with our kids that our family has, has just been using to try to teach our kids about the Trinity and how the Trinity is a gospel message. The Father was pleased to send the Son, so the Word took on flesh. Jesus the Son laid down his life and so defeated death. The Father sends the Spirit, Christ's bride to collect. And through this good news, God three in one brings glory to himself. It's the message of the Trinity. That's the reality of the Trinity. Why are we baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has saved us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit brings the church together. And it is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who send us out on the mission that God, who is three in one, has for the church. So we need to understand this as we go. So what are we doing as we're making disciples? What's the nature of this content? Well, first we're going, we're baptizing, and then lastly, we're teaching. We're teaching. Now listen, this isn't as flashy, is it? This isn't as flashy as the, the first two actions that we looked at. Going, man, that just sounds exciting. Think about going, we're thinking about like planes, trains, and automobiles, trekking into the Amazon to, to proclaim the gospel to new people groups. Think about baptizing, man. Listen, there's, there's something that's, that's just not right with us spiritually. We don't get excited whenever we see sisters and brothers baptized into the faith. That's a moment of rejoicing. So these are things that we think about and we think, man, those are wonderful things. But when we talk about teaching, we can say, well, that just kind of happens all the time. It's just teaching. So why teaching? Well, here's some reasons. First, if Jesus has given us all power, or if Jesus has all power and he sent us on a mission, we're to do what he says. Why are we teaching? Because it's an act of obedience to the one who has all power. Once Jesus says to teach, we're gonna teach. So we have this as an act of obedience. Secondly, because as Jesus supernaturally raises up believers from the nations and from our community and brings them to our church and we disciple them, the Spirit is going to create in them a thirst for obedience to Christ and a knowledge to know the triune God. Here's something I want us to see. New believers want to be taught who God is and how he's revealed himself in his word. So we're gonna teach. Thirdly, because gospel teaching fuels gospel mission. Gospel teaching fuels gospel mission. Listen to this. We don't have it on the screen. Just listen. This is Acts 42, 47. Five verses about what's happening in the early church. Spirit's fallen. God's added almost 3,000 people or about 3,000 people to the body of believers. It says this. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. What's the first thing we see there? They're devoting themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. 
What are the apostles teaching? He's, they're teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has taught them. Do, do you see how that's a part of the mission? I mean, that's just a part of the mission. It's not something separate. It's not like we have our teaching ministry and then we have like our, our going ministry. It's not like we have our teaching ministry and then entirely separate from that is evangelism and missions. Instead, making disciples requires teaching. We see that very clearly commanded to us in the word of God. Let me tell you about a missional activity of First Baptist New Orleans. In a few moments, our, our small groups are going to meet. If you're not in a small group, I just want to invite you. Christy Gibson is going to be in the, the Welcome Center, which is just directly behind these doors. Those small groups, you're going to go in there, and, and I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to feel like anything flashy. There's, there's not lights and whiz bangs going off. You're going to have a group of people, a group of believers who sit down and they open up the Word of God. They say, this is what God has said to us. How is it pointing us to do all the things that Christ has commanded us to do? We're going to be asking the question, how is this teaching us to observe everything that Christ has commanded us? How does it apply to various stages in our life? It's not flashy, but it's missional. Listen, FBNO, if you're in one of those groups, you're being discipled week by week. If you're teaching one of those groups, thank you so much. You're, you're a part of the ministry of the church to make disciples of the nations right here in the classrooms of First Baptist New Orleans. If you're leading a small group study in your home, that's, that's disciple making, that's missional. That's the mission that God has called you on to teach people to obey everything that Christ has commanded you. Meaning that if we're a believer, we're committed to learn, to obey the things which Christ has commanded us. It's not flashy, but it is directly in the heart of our mission. I want to encourage those of you who are joining with us that, that are not able to be present with us for a variety of reasons, especially in the season of COVID. I want, I want to encourage you that, that we have opportunities for you not only to, to do these kind of, of studies in person, but we also have opportunities to, to do these kind of studies and be a part of this type of mission via Zoom calls and other means. And we're going to talk about that at the end of the service and give you a contact number just to email someone and they'll get you connected with one of those groups. So we have here the power of the mission, the object of the mission, and very quickly, the promise of the mission. Here's the promise of the mission. Jesus will be with us always. There's a cost to living on mission in this way. There's a cost. And so maybe some different groups of folks in the room as you're hearing me go through this, you might be asking, all right, I'm thinking about what this is gonna cost me. Students, you might be here this morning, whether you're, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, graduate student. You might be here thinking, listen, if I live this way, if, if, I, if I go on my campus and I'm, I am trusting in the power of Christ and I am proclaiming the, the gospel and I, I am going to the, the people that I know are lost and telling them that Christ has made them a part of his people for those who believe by faith and I'm seeking baptism, I'm seeking to teach them. If I do that, well, I'm just gonna be ostracized on my campus. Like, like, I'm going to be thought of as strange. I'm going to be thought of as odd. I'm going to be the, the person that everyone mocks and makes fun of. I'm not going to get the right academic opportunities. Maybe you're here and, 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 and those of us that are, that are working in careers, maybe we're thinking about this and you're saying, you know, you know something? If I seek to live out this mission in my, my workplace, on my job site, in my office, at my workstation, in my hospital, in my school, I'm going to get labeled an outsider. My coworkers are going to look at me and they're going to say, look, that's that religious nut over there. 
you know, for a while they went to church and that was fine, but now they're, they're really starting to let that bleed into their professional life and we don't like it and you're going to be pushed out. Maybe you feel like you're going to miss out on opportunities at your job. Maybe you feel like you're going to be mocked by your coworkers. You might be here to, and say to yourself, if I seek to live out this mission in my family, my own family is going to make me feel like an outsider. I'm going to be that person at Thanksgiving that, that everybody tries to avoid conversations with because they're going to be worried that I'll, I'll talk with them about the gospel or that I share with them about Christ or I proclaim the name of, of Jesus to them. I'm going to be pushed out. As we're considering these things, I want us to consider something. There's disciples living out this mission today in dangerous places. For the last two weeks, Afghanistan's been in the news. Let me tell you what's happening in Afghanistan right now. One of the many things that's happening in Afghanistan is believers who really had more freedom than they had experienced in the past for the last two decades in Afghanistan are now faced with the reality. If I live out this mission in my setting, then I am not only gonna be pushed to the margins of society, I am putting myself in a position where I might be beaten and tortured and killed for my faith if I live out this mission. And we might ask ourselves in our situation, and especially in theirs, what could possibly make it worth it to live out a mission with such consequences? End of verse 20. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. If you're mocked for the mission, know that the one who was mocked before all men the one that was mocked and beaten and scorned and pushed out to the margins so much so that he was faced a criminal's punishment on a cross and who has beaten death and is resurrected, he's with you. And in those moments where you're being mocked for the mission, he's with you. Those of you who are passed over, who feel like you're not getting your due in life, know that the king of kings who came from heaven and was despised by his own creation, the one that actually did face the, 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 the most just heinous example of being passed over for the glory that he was due, know that he's with you. What's the hope for Afghan believers? We've got sisters and brothers around the world that if they live out this mission, their lives are forfeit. And sisters and brothers, that means that not just, not just going down the street to proclaim the gospel to a neighbor, that means that to look at their six and eight-year-old and to say, it is worth it to lift up the name of Jesus means that men may come in and kill us. How could it be worth it? Because the one who died and has beaten death and purchased their resurrection looks at them and says, I am with you. That's the promise of the mission. When we understand Jesus' promise that the risen Lord who sits eternally at the right hand of the Father, who has all the power, is with us to the very end of the age, that we can't help but face our mission with hope and the power and the presence of Christ. How do we apply this? Believers, this is really pretty easy for us, I think. Church, be faithful to the mission that Christ has called us. Let's not get discouraged. Let's not feel like we're beaten. The reason being, the power of Christ is still powering the mission. The presence of Christ is with us. In these seasons of COVID, in these strange times, we have all the hope that we have ever had. The mission is just as certain of success today as it ever has been. There is coming a day when the fulfillment of this mission will happen and every people, tribe, and tongue gathered around the throne, worshiping Christ. Worship out of the overflow of that promise this morning. Believers, that's, that's your mission. It's your application. Non-believers, here's the application for you. Let's acknowledge 
I must sound pretty crazy to you right now. I mean, what kind of mission would lead you to such radical action? I want to just share with you the gospel that pushes us on this mission. This is the gospel. We use a tool in our church called the Three Circles. This is just a way of sharing our story. The three circles show us this. It just helps us to see the story that's laid out in Scripture. So non-believers, if you're hearing everything I've said has sounded crazy, then I just want to share with you what this is like, this gospel that gives us this hope. It tells us this. It tells us that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, which I think is a very easy thing for us to understand about the world around us. Turn on your TV. Look at what's happening in Afghanistan. Look at what's happening down the street from you. Look at the violence that happens in our city. It tells us that the world is broken and it's not the way it's supposed to be. And it tells us this as well. The story of the scripture tells us everything I try to do to break outside of the brokenness ultimately just makes it worse. But this is what it tells us. It says God has a plan for us. That God's plan was not for things to be broken in the way that they are. And if it's broken, if we acknowledge that it's broken, then all of us should be able to see, well, then, then that means there was something out there. If, if it's not the way it's supposed to be, that means there, there's a way it's supposed to be. The scriptures teach us that that's God's plan for our lives, to live with God, to live in his peace and in unity with God and with one another, to be God's wise representatives to this creation, to dwell with God and know his glory and enjoy him forever as he enjoys us as his creatures. But our sin has broken it. So how do we go from God's design to brokenness? Because of our sin. We have sinned, and so we are now in a state of brokenness. So what's the only thing that's gonna get us back? Everything we do pushes us away from God. God sends Jesus Christ into the world. The Son of God breaks into this world. He comes down to us. He lives a perfect life. He dies on a cross, and he's actually dead, put in a tomb. Then he rises from the dead. He is seen by his disciples. He gives us our mission. He ascends into heaven and is right now seated with all authority in heaven and on earth at the right hand of God the Father. And the day is coming where he's going to return and do perfect justice and get his church and by grace restore us to the plan that God has had all along for our design. So how do we turn from our brokenness and come to Christ? We turn from our brokenness and come to Christ by repenting and believing in Jesus. We turn and we follow Christ. And once we're there, we grow in Christ. We grow in the mission. Why is it that, that we can have this crazy mission that we talked about? Well, because if we understand that Christ is the only one who redeems us to God's design, then the mission is worth any cost. And so we grow into the mission. So our challenge to you as you're here this morning, if you're a non-believer, is that you would turn and follow, come to Christ and then that you would join us in the mission as we grow to follow God. We'll have some specific ways that you can respond to that in a moment. As the praise team begins to, to lead us again in a song of worship, I pray we worship out of this overflow. Let me pray for us briefly. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the mission that you have given us. And thank you for your word that reveals these things to us. We pray these in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>